You're listening to Self-Publishing Journeys, the weekly podcast for all new and aspiring self-published authors. Stand by for tips, resources, hints, and practical techniques to help you on your own self-publishing journey. Meet indie authors at different stages of their writing careers and hear how they manage to get their own books published and making sales. For show notes, web links, and useful resources, please head to selfpublishingjourneys.com. Now, here's your show host, self-published author and digital marketer, Paul Teague. Hello, and welcome to Self-Publishing Journeys for Monday, the 1st of August. This is episode number 22. My guest today is Janet Murray, who knows a thing or two about what makes a great media story and what doesn't. She has 15 years' experience writing and editing for national newspapers and magazines, including The Guardian, Telegraph, Independent, Times, Sun, and The Daily Mail. Janet now teaches people how to create incredible PR opportunities with minimal time and resources. I invited her onto the podcast because she's just written and released her first ever non-fiction book. It's called Your Press Release is Breaking My Heart, a totally unconventional guide to selling your story in the media. Not only did Janet apply her own considerable skills to marketing the book, she also wrote it extremely fast. I started by asking her what had finally given her the push to write that book. Well, a couple of things. I I don't know if you're familiar with Chris Ducker, who's a podcaster and online business owner. And I went to a mastermind session he was running in Manchester last September. And I introduced myself, told him a bit about myself. And the first thing he said was, you have to write a book and you have to do it immediately. And I had been thinking about it for a while, but I've kind of been putting it off because I wanted to start a podcast. And he was like, no, 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 you need to write this book first. And actually, I ended up starting the podcast first, which I personally think was the right thing to do, because it gave me another audience. So obviously, I had another audience to talk about my book to, which has helped me grow my audience, which is great. Um, But also, actually, I was interviewing someone for my podcast a few few, uh, months ago, and he's a sales expert. And he was giving all this, you know, this advice on how to to, to get more business. And and I said to him, this is all very well, but what about about people who don't have a a book and he said well I would say why haven't you got a book you call yourself an expert why haven't you got a book and that was really it it almost that comment just stayed with me for the rest of the the day really and it just kept coming back to me because like I I am an expert I've got a blog I've got a podcast I've got a sort of half-finished manuscript why am I messing around so I decided pretty much there and then I was going to do it and I was going to do it within 30 days yeah, this 30 days is really interesting because you're a real doer, uh, I notice. It's like with the podcast, I've been following you online. You didn't hang around. You just got it done, didn't you? And presumably it was the same with the book. Yeah, I did the podcast in 30 days as well. And the thing is, I've been a journalist for 15 years, so I'm used to working to really, really tight deadlines. And I've also taught journalism as well. And I used to say to my students, it's probably like the only profession where if you did your homework on the last minute, it was probably quite a good thing because it gives you the nerve. And I think the trouble is you get used to working to such tight deadlines everything you do is you just get an assignment you do it as quickly as you possibly can and then you move on to the next thing and the next thing so actually although that's good in a way it makes it quite hard for you to take on big projects so I find that unless it's got quite a short deadline and it's quite intense and quick I just procrastinate and that's exactly what I'd done with the the book so just after Christmas I was like right I'm really going to go for this and I bought the Scrivener software and you know said right I'll get up in the morning and I'll I'll spend an hour working on my book every day and it I I sort of you know I had a 25,000 word manual 
manuscript, but I just kept re-editing the first chapters over and over again, so they were really good. And um, and I think without a really kind of like hard and fast deadline, I think the journalist in me just just doesn't get things done. Now, interestingly, you're the first author I've spoken to so far on the podcast who is non-fiction only. Well, and non-fiction right. is a very different um, culture, I think, in terms of writing the book. How, how did you go about getting all those ideas and that knowledge in your head on, into writing? Well, I've been writing a, a blog where basically I've been sharing all the information that's in my book for quite a few years. So essentially, the first thing I did was I took... I kind of planned out a skeleton because the important thing for me was kind of having it, having the information in a kind of logical order. I wanted it to be like a mini course in a book, really, which it is. And so the first thing I did was I, I, I did a, almost like an audit of all the content I already had. I cut and paste all of that. I just dumped it into a file and then tried to to kind of put that into some order and then I worked out where the gaps were so I worked out and another thing I did it I kind of did it in two ways is that uh, another friend of mine called uh Bill Pallon who, who who wrote a book in a very short amount of time uh, mm. called Shut Up and Tweet he said to me that how he wrote his book was he basically just wrote down 50 questions that people ask him all the time so I did a kind of combination of that I wrote down all the questions that people ask me all the time and then I also did this kind of audit of the content I already had and then you know along the way I did a few bits and whatever and basically I just did a big dump of all the of all the, the content realized how much I had then worked out well where are the gaps where do I create new content and actually as I was doing it it was quite handy because I was creating there was sort of chapters where I realized I'd, I'd, I'd missed quite on my blog there were certain t- topics I hadn't addressed or hadn't addressed as well as I would have liked to so some of the chapters actually I created as a blog post first and as I was writing the book I kind of used the the chapter as a blog post and then kind of adapted it a bit for the book so it was actually not as kind of arduous as it as it sounds because I did have a lot of content already and it was really about shaping it and getting it into kind of a coherent order. And that was the thing that I found the most challenging was working out what's the right order for me to help people with this. Like what, you know, what are the sort of logical steps that feel manageable to take them through this content and, and so that I'm not jumping around. In a throwaway comment a moment or two ago, you mentioned that you'd use Scrivener. And anybody who's ever used Scrivener knows that you don't just jump in and use Scrivener. It's actually quite a, a beast of a software. How did you get on with Scrivener as a first-time user? Um, well, I actually ended up not. I ended up going back to Google Docs, which, <laughs> I mean, I, I found it fairly easy to use. I, I bought the course. Um, who is it who's got a course which is like Learn Scrivener Fast? I forget the name of yes, the person. Joseph Michael, I think it is, yeah. That's it. Joseph yeah, Michael, I did buy yeah. that. And uh, I did find it sort of quite useful. But and I liked the way it kind of organized thing into chapters. And but I don't know, I kind of like Google Docs. And, and I just found I don't know, I, I found it just a bit annoying <laughs> after a while. So I decided just go to go back to my trusty old Google Docs. And um, so I, I worked with the Scrivener for quite a while. And then, like one day, in a bit of peak, I just like took all the content out, <laughs> put it in a Google Doc, and then just thought, oh, actually, I'm quite happy working like this. And um, yeah, I mean, I liked the it's got the corkboard thing, hasn't it, where you can move things around, which I think is great for nonfiction. But I think I I don't know, I think like that anyway. So I don't think having a corkboard view that showed me where the chapters were and being able to swap them around would make that any easier for me because I think I just kind of think like that anyway so um so yeah I just I just found it a bit I found it a little bit just bits of it a bit annoying so yeah I just went back to the basics 
Yeah, Google Drive is perfectly all right for most people, I think. I, I wrote my first book in Google Drive and got on very well with it. And you don't lose anything in Google Drive. That's the other thing. Exactly. And you can go back, obviously, to your previous drafts and things like that, can't you, quite easily. And, and you know, I, I think it's great. Yeah, I, yeah, I think it's. Um, I think people overlook it a lot of the time, mm. and uh, and it's actually simpler than Microsoft Word, which you've oh, rejected. Have you? I hate. I hate Microsoft <laughs> Word. My assistant Jo, she she hates the fact that I like Google Docs. But for example, she was helping me proofread it, and so with Google Docs, you can just share it. And so she was, you know, in the evening, she was reading it on her phone and proofing it for me and just adding comments and i was correcting them with word doc i mean i mean it's better now isn't it now it's kind of online but i just i just hate i hate the whole thing about having to sort of download things and then you know you send you send things across to people and then you can't remember what version it is that you've sent and i know it's no it's better now but um i just love the fact that with google docs everything's live and completely up to date you know whatever version you're looking at is the most up-to-date version but you also know you can go back and look at older ones and that just seems to work with my brain i think I do want to probe your journalistic background a little bit, too, because I found I, I was in radio for years and writing to bulletin deadlines and news program deadlines. And when you're on that kind of pressure, you don't hang around. You don't sit there procrastinating and wondering what the first line's going to be. You just get it done. And I'm interested as a journalist, if you found that your experience helped you as a writer to just get the work done. Yeah, I think, as I mentioned at the beginning, it's, it's just that discipline where you can't, you can't sort of find extra time in the schedule. You can't ask for a little bit longer. I mean, sometimes you can, but most of the time it just has to be done by that time. And you have to be able to do a good job in that time and you have to be able to kind of hold your nerve. So I think that's all really good. And also over the last 15 years, I've really developed as a writer. So I didn't find the writing side of it difficult because I've written every single day without fail all kinds of different content and I'm just in that daily writing practice thing so I think compared to somebody who who maybe doesn't do that as part of their job and I also love writing as well so I I write every every single day all different kinds of copy so I just found the words just came really easily and the one thing that I've really learned as a professional writer for, for that amount of time it's just the importance of storytelling so so you know when you're you're trying to so in quite a few of the chapters in my book I would open with a story or an anecdote that kind of set the scene rather than sort of you know just kind of um people like to give the context or the background whereas I've sort of of learn that it's much better to tell a story and then hook people in that way and also I've learned how important it is to be simple as well and to not use big words <laughs> I've got a phrase I often use is like you know using big words can make you look stupid but I've learned that actually it's really important to to often reach for the most simple word or phrase well, phrase rather than trying to be big and clever and so the writing part of it sort of flowed quite, quite easily you know having said that you know there's always stuff to learn and I look at it now and think oh that's a bit clunky and I wish I had a bit more time I could have made that a little bit clearer or whatever but obviously that discipline of doing it for so many years just made the writing process so much easier you did have a uh, and you do have a fantastic online platform already you've got the podcast you've got an amazing website with loads of content on it already why did you go for self-publishing rather than traditional publishing because I would have thought you were quite an attractive prospect to a a traditional publisher it's a really good question Funnily enough, I made my uh, my podcast episode this week is, is on it as we're recording this, because like, everyone kept asking me about it. Um, so th- the main reason was, because I run a business, I felt like I, I didn't have, so I've got a coaching program, which is for people who've got quite mature businesses, and it, it's like £1,800, so obviously that's not for everybody. 
I've got a membership program which is about £29 a month or people can pay it over a year and I didn't have a sort of entry level product for people so people were finding me and finding my resources and they were finding them really helpful and they maybe wanted to they either didn't know me well enough and they wanted to get to know me better or they they just didn't have to budget because they were starting a business and they wanted to learn how to promote themselves and so I wanted to have a product that was like um like an entry-level product if you like that anybody could afford to buy and they could teach themselves from my book because I've also got I mean we'll talk about this later I guess but I've also used Teachable to host some resources to go with the book so essentially it's like a mini course in a book and I thought if I wait around for a traditional publisher to you know to to find an agent and to pitch myself and I could be years getting this book out or I could just get this book out now so and and I'm helping people who otherwise maybe I wouldn't be able to help which is great Uh, the other thing is obviously I do quite a bit of speaking and having a book is obviously a great business card and the other thing is the publicity side of it so every author that's been traditionally published without fail that I know has complained about not getting any help with promoting their book and they've said well the reason I went for traditional publishers because I wanted help promoting my book and then they've got no help or the help that they've got has not, not been very good and they've ended up having to do their own PR and I thought well I don't need somebody to my book is about PR so I don't need anybody to help me do that I can do that myself so I think I'm quite an impatient person as well which I decided I was doing a book I was doing a book and I didn't want to wait around for a few years but I felt like I that I have like quite a, a big group in my audience who are not ready they don't have the budget yet to buy any of my other products and so there's something for everybody basically whatever stage they are in their business or development I've now got something that can help everybody which is great you're very much in the expert, uh, the sort of expert positioning uh, sector. In that, uh, rather than giving out a calling card, I think you can give out a book. And I, I think uh, people like Chris Drucker, many uh, people who are you know way higher up than we'll ever be, uh, are, are recommending this actually as a great technique for somebody like you who's got expertise to share and sell. Yeah, I was at the Guardian yesterday delivering some media training. They uh, had they were giving as a prize to somebody who won a competition some media training. So every time that happens, they get me in to deliver it which is great. And the two people that I was training yesterday, I was able to give them a copy of my book. And they were very much at the start of their PR journey and social media journey. And, you know, it wasn't even maybe so much the money. It was just more that they were so early on in their in their journey that I don't think the, the other things I had to offer would be helpful. But I was able to give them both a really nice copy of my book and, and say, you can go and grab my resources. And, and, you know, for the amount of money that that cost me to create, I mean, what a great business card to give to somebody who may well in the future remember me and want to come and work, work with me. So for me, it just makes complete sense. And I remember um, a, a colleague of mine said a little while ago that he's a, a, a you know quite a, a successful professional speaker. He said when anybody gets in touch with him and makes an inquiry about booking him as a speaker or to do some training or consultancy he immediately just puts puts a book in the post and sends it to them and I remember thinking that's just great isn't it it's just so much better than anything else you could do because it's social proof there people got it in their hands and um and it just gives you that kind of credibility and for anybody listening to this thinking oh this is very interesting this is much more powerful than just handing over a business card presumably you pack the book with cross promos to the other things that you're doing yeah, so I actually I think I only do it at the end, which 
interesting considering promotional stuff is made but but i've used teachable to pretty much at the end of every chapter there is some kind of resource that you can download and and i've used the teachable platform because i use that for my membership community anyway so it's almost like a little mini course and obviously when people sign up for that you can collect their email addresses and you can keep in touch with them so i can you know email them in a week or two and say how are you getting on with the book uh share some more tips with them just keep them warm and then you know maybe tell them about some of the paid you know the more expensive products that i've got so it's obviously a great way of kind of collecting people's email addresses but in a kind of you know giving them some useful stuff in exchange for it and um yeah at the end of the, the book i mentioned a couple of things you know like my coaching program and my business club but I'm a big believer in showing not telling and I think when you write a book that shows your expertise and people find it useful and they go and write a great review on Amazon you don't need to tell people how great you are or what products and services you've got on offer they'll get in touch with you and say look I really like the book what else do you offer and so you know it's it's like content marketing in action I guess. I want to delve a little more into the actual writing of the book did you hit any roadblocks snags or problems while you were writing just I, I think initially I I kind of dumped all this content as I as I said and then I spent like ages I just kept re-editing the first chapter <laughs> so I think the first <laughs> chapters are really good uh, but I think there comes a point where you have to just go right you know I just need to move on from this and because I'm a professional writer I'm, I'm very critical of myself and so even reading it back now there's loads of bits that I just think oh I just could have tightened that up a bit or or that could be a bit clearer but I think there comes a point where you've just got to ship it as uh, Seth Godin would say mm. and um, no not really I found it found it quite easy it was just obviously I was doing a lot in a short space of time the bit I found the most difficult was I was, was the editing process actually because I don't think I left enough time and so because I gave myself this ridiculous 30-day deadline because I was running an event in London on a particular date where I wanted to launch it which was actually last week and um I I thought well, I can skip the copy editing stage because I you know I'm, I've been writing and editing for years and my husband is a sub editor so my husband basically did the copy editing bit and I didn't have time to do that and all the other stuff that I did so I would have preferred just have a little bit more time to get a few more people to read it to get it proofread a few more times because when I sent it to the formatting editor to be laid out I still knew I knew there were a few bits that I'd have to fix like I knew there were a few mistakes in it and I knew I'd have to pay the formatting editor to go back in and fix a few mistakes but because of the kind of tightness of the schedule and knowing that I had to have it uploaded because basically what I did to motivate myself to do it I booked in the formatting editor and I set a date on Amazon I set the date that I was going to publish it and um, started taking pre-orders before I'd even, <laughs> before I'd even <laughs> come back from the copy editors uh, from the formatting editor sorry and so I knew as I was sending it to her that there were mistakes in it that would have to be corrected and I imagine I mean it's always the case for every book there would be some mistakes in it anyway and that kind of sort of riled me quite a lot. That and, and I just remember sitting there going through the pages, and it's it's a 150 page book, so it's not a massive book. I think it's about 35,000 words or something. It's not massive, but even so, it took so so long to go through all the edits. And uh, I found that because I, I I'm quite a doer, so I find finishing projects quite hard. And so I mean that's another reason for me to do things in short amount short amounts of time. I will tend to kind of lose in interest and focus and I found myself getting quite frustrated at the editing stage because just as you thought it was finished and ready you'd notice something else like for example uh when the proof came back the spine was the wrong way around and I hadn't noticed it in the, in the, so you know just little things like that and, uh, um, and I've also I've had a problem actually which I don't think the time 
timing would have made any any uh i don't think this is anything to do with the timing actually but but um so i use create space for print on demand and basically amazon in the uk i ordered a batch of them for my event i had to order them straight from from amazon rather than from create space which is much cheaper and when i got them i, I was very excited to open the box and noticed that uh, all the l's and n's were missing in the copies of this box so i would re- oh, no. i returned that batch and ordered another batch and let them know about it second batch arrived on the day of my event by an express delivery same thing so it wasn't all of them it was like in a batch of 30 there might be like seven or eight good copies uh so i thought right and i'd let them know about it again they said look into it or do the third batch exactly the same thing then my customers started to get get them so so uh, and i don't think that's got anything to do with my timing i think there's some problem but i have found that really frustrating that that because amazon is such a big beast that you know I've, I've alerted them to the problem they're fine i'm giving refunds and stuff like that but clearly there's a problem where whatever printer they're using in the uk to print my books on demand there's some problem there but as we speak i've had to take the print book off amazon because they, they haven't been able to fix it and i'm just selling the, the, the print version through my site at the moment because of this this sort of mess up and it's you know, amazon are not not being very helpful or cooperative in terms of sorting it out and keep trying to pass the buck. So, but, but I think that's probably not a timing thing. I think that probably would have happened even if I was all organized as well, but I just, just thought that was worth sharing just because um, for anybody thinking mm. about doing it, obviously this is something that probably wouldn't happen with a traditional publisher. And obviously if it did happen, you'd get some support to sort it out. But, you know, I spent an hour and seven minutes to be exact last night on the phone to Amazon trying to sort it out, numerous emails, tweets, whatever, and um, been very frustrating that side of it. You've just terrified all self-published authors. I've never <laughs> heard of that one before. No, but funny if my uncle sent me a text last night to say his had arrived, and he and he said I haven't seen anything like this since 1974, and I had a copy of Thomas Hardy's Test of the Durvilles with a blank page or something. Oh, um, no. So I mean, it's really really unfortunate, uh, but you know, I don't think there's anything that I could do about it and the irony being you know it's, it's made me i'm there you know saying to my customers if you order one through my website i'll send you something else as well so i'm having to do the extra customer service bit which amazon aren't doing and um yeah i guess that's probably the, that's the downside of self-publishing as someone pointed out to me yesterday that you know you're on your own to sort this kind of stuff out if it's any consolation to you i went to the festival of writing in york last year and one of the agents there admitted that they were just about to launch a book that we, which they knew had several errors in it, but it was too late. It had gone to print and it was just about to hit all the bookshops. Mm-hmm. So at, at least as a self-published author, you can go back in there, change the file, re-upload it, fix it. Whereas they were committed yeah. to a run that they knew yeah. was bad. Exactly. And that reminds me of something else I meant to say actually when I was talking about my reasons for self-publishing. Because I talk a lot in my book about social media and how you can use that to connect with journalists and get PR. But because social media is changing so rapidly, so I've talked quite a bit in the book about Snapchat and Periscope and things like that. But I know in six months, some of those things that I've shared and some of those tips may well be defunct and there might be new platforms and new opportunities. So for me, the idea that maybe in a few, you know, even if it, it could be two or three months time, that uh, if things change significantly or something comes up that that I think is really important, I can just, you know, in a weekend or a day, just, just upload a new version and hopefully it won't have letters missing. <laughs> just say, yes. the, the Kindle version is fine, actually, if anyone listening wants to order it. And uh, if anybody is interested, the, my website, you can get a, a clean v- version with all the, 
the letters on it from my website. Uh, but yeah, um, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, that that really appealed to me, the idea that I could do my own revised version whenever I wanted. Well, you have had a bad experience. I think I'm just counting, I think of eight, eight uh, I've about nine books I've self-published on Create Space. And my only gripe has been that the covers curl. If you oh. get them in the wrong environment, okay. the covers curl. So if you leave it in the loo, you know, to read. Uh, it's deadly. But um, covers curling is the biggest problem I've had. And um, I have had books from Ingram Spark as well. I tried Ingram Spark, and they seem to be uh, better quality. Right. Well, I was actually impressed the quality from the, the ones I've ordered from the States, because I've had a big box. This is how I know it's not my fault, because I've had a lovely big box from the States, which are perfect, and they're really good quality, actually, the Create Space ones. But the ones, whatever printer Amazon are using in the UK, God, I hope they find them, because even the quality of the paper and everything, it's not its not great. And, um, again, it's one of those things, I guess, as a self-published author, you've got to you learn, don't you, and you have to negotiate your way around these things. Oh, well, absolutely, yes, and you can change at any time. You're not caught on a contract or anything, yeah. so... Um, uh, let, let me probe that a little more then why didn't you go through Ingram Spark why did you go for Create Space I just like the idea of um, of uh, the print on demand thing funnily, funnily enough I just I'd read that book by um, oh god what's it called The Magic Art of Tidying uh, by Marie Kondo and I'd I've actually got rid of a lot of my own print books like recently I never thought I'd say this but I, I only own a handful of books now classic and read a lot of stuff on, on online and um my husband published a book self-published a book recently and we've got loads in our loft and <laughs> i just kind of <laughs> thought like i don't really I, I think it's you know more kind of environmentally friendly and all that kind of stuff just to kind of you know get copies when you need them and uh, the idea of just having my loft full up with, with loads of books and I, I just you know i just thought it was more convenient and more environmentally friendly and all that kind of thing and to be honest because i did so quick I probably didn't do enough research because my husband's, you know, now badgering me and keeps telling me, oh, you should just like, you know, we could do this or we could do that and you could print it here, we could print it there. And, and, um, but I was just kind of like, no, this works for me. It's, you know, it seems like a kind of, um, sort of hassle free solution for me, but obviously has turned out to have quite a lot of hassle involved. Yeah, it is usually simpler than that, honestly, with Create Space. And of course, they give you an ISBN number. Now, if you'd have gone with Ingram Spark, you'd have gone through Nielsen, and that then would have meant that you could have gone to bookshops. So have you discounted bookshops as far as distribution is concerned? I haven't, actually. But I guess, I mean, maybe I'm underselling myself a bit because somebody te- somebody sent me a tweet the other day actually saying, you know, I- I'd be interested in helping you uh, get a traditional publisher for your next book. But I kind of felt felt that my book was so niche, you know, how to get press coverage for your small business, essentially, is what it's all about, that that I, I couldn't imagine it kind of, you know, flying off the shelves in Waterstones or whatever. However, you know, there is a need need for it. And I guess, you know, it's probably one of the things that if I looked into it more, then I, I might well have done. And, and I guess I, you know, I also from what I'd read and heard is that, you know, if, if the book did have traction, if it was very popular with people, then, you know, there's a chance that, a you know, I might be able to get a traditional publisher to take it on anyway so partly sort of my haste but also I think my sort of feeling that my book was very niche and um you know may not sort of you know be kind of a pride of place in the front of Waterstones. One of the things that I noticed about the book is that you've used some really nice uh graphic font 
pr- presentation in the book, which that's that's a not a non-standard thing to do. Most people would just put text in. How, how many difficulties did that give you? They look like they've been designed. Have you had an artist on them or, or, or is yeah. that what the formatters do? No, I, I well, the formatter did it for me, but I got my designers to create them. So they're like, um, it's difficult to explain, they're almost like prints. In fact, I've got matching prints on the wall in my in my office, <laughs> and so basically, I've got all these sayings that I say all the time, which some of the people who like follow my work they would know them off by heart anyway. So they're things like you know, a nicely written press release is no guarantee of press coverage. Tell the stories people want to hear, not the ones they want to tell. I've got one on my wall I'm looking at now, which says, "When haters hate, it's not about you." And so, so, mm. so I had all these kind of like sayings, and I thought I think I was actually inspired by one of Brené Brown's books because she had something similar at the beginning of her chapters um, in Rising Strong. And so I showed them to my designer. And, and actually also, my I, I'm, I'm quite fussy. I'm not a particularly artistic person, but I'm quite fussy about my own design. So people often comment about the fact that my website and all my, my materials and branding, it all kind of like looks, you know, it looks like my stuff. And I've got It's this, lovely. Yeah, it's really nice. I've got this designer, Tracy, Tracy and who, um, who who works for me, and she helps me do all of that. She's brilliant. And actually, the cover was quite interesting. So, so she, I got her basically to create, I showed her this book and said, I'd love to have something like this in my book. Can you have a go? And she she actually makes, I met her in my local coffee shop, right? So she <laughs> she's a designer, but she was working in this lovely local coffee shop around the corner from me. And she made these like bespoke maps and prints and things like that that she was displaying in the cafe so that's how I first met her I, I saw her her work in the cafe and then just gradually started doing more and more work with her and so the the kind of style of them is almost like these these prints that that um that that she makes which are kind of hanging on the wall in the cafe it's kind of hard to explain it um but my cover was quite interesting because I was really determined that I didn't want to have a kind of one of these like boring business covers so I did the old standard thing that everyone tells you should do so I I formed a, a book group and I created a dedicated Facebook group where I invited people to look at sample covers and chapters and things like that but the cover that I chose in the end uh, quite a lot of people were just like you are making a big mistake with this cover <laughs> because it, it looks a little bit it looks probably a little bit like a chick lit novel um, because the title of my book is your press release is breaking my heart a totally unconventional guide to you selling your story in the media and what i teach people is quite unconventional compared to most pr manuals it's like complete opposite of what most people will tell you to do so i didn't want to have a kind of traditional boring business book type cover but i literally had people in my book group telling me you're wrong you know you're making a big mistake and i just felt i had to go with my gut on it so um so so i so i did and i i just Somebody said to me, your book cover needs to pop. You know, people need to see it and they need to go, wow. And the kind of feedback I'm getting back from people now is that they're buying, some people have actually emailed me to say I bought the book because it just looks so nice. And uh, <laughs> and it just, you know, it just looks lovely. I love the look and feel of it. And I felt that to be true to my brand, you know, I couldn't just kind of have some kind of boring business book type thing because every, everybody told me that was the right thing to do. And, you know, I, I'm all about promotion and publicity and it just goes against everything I would share is to tell people to go off brand or to dilute your brand to, to sell something you've got to be yourself uh, so that was quite an interesting process having a book group and everyone telling you that you're making a mistake with your cover <laughs> so uh, so time will tell but obviously I took I took on board you know lots of other feedback but I think on the cover I just felt so strongly that it it was it had to kind of fit with the rest of my brand that um I decided to ignore that bit of feedback <laughs> 
Well, and again, it's self-published. If it doesn't work, you can change exactly. it. Exactly, exactly, yeah, exactly. Now, you're a PR expert. This is what you do. This is what your experience is. So I've got to ask you then, how did you manage the launch of your own book? Well, I'm a journalist by trade, so I guess it's my USP, and this is why it's a totally unconventional guide to selling your story in the media, is that I, I'm that person who's sat receiving people's press releases and their story ideas and going, oh, my God. Like, why would anyone be interested in publishing that or whatever? Mm. Um, so, so obviously, I didn't send out a press release because they're a waste of time, generally, unless you've got a really major stories. So I basically, I just, I asked the questions that I would ask myself, the questions that I would ask my clients. So who do you want to get in front of? So who do you want to buy this book? So mainly for me, it's people who run their own businesses or solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, you know, authors, actually, you know, would probably find my book really useful and I thought well what, what do they read watch and listen to what what are the kind of you know places that I'm going to get in front of them so but also I had to be realistic about my books a PR book book so it's not going to probably get national coverage because it's it's a, it's a niche book about PR you know and, and, and I know as a journalist there isn't anything that about it that kind of gives it that kind of national um kind of you know, it's not Fifty Shades of Grey, you know, so, so it has to be like realistic. So what I did was I, I, this is what I would advise anybody else to do is, is I thought about, well, the places where I think it would be good for me to get coverage, what kind of content could I provide that would be useful um, to people? So how can I provide useful content? So I already write for the Guardian Small Business Network already. So I just approached them. I've written lots of stuff for them about how to how to get press coverage for small business. And I just basically said, I've got a book coming out. Uh, would you like me to write a piece for you? And give me a nice plug at the end and um i just gave them a few ideas for some useful content that i could write for them and i think the one they went for was the the no press release guide to getting coverage for your business so um i, I wrote them a kind of nice how-to practical piece uh pr week uh, because some of the people who read my book actually a lot of them are already pr people <laughs> in fact um and they're, they're, if they're not too insulted by what i've said about pr people in the book. um <laughs> and they um so i went to pr week and i offered them an opinion article and i went to them and said i i, I really believe all people who work in the pr industry should should spend some time in a newsroom before they they're allowed to practice which is obviously quite a controversial you know thing to say so so they it hasn't come out yet but they're gonna publish an opinion article and obviously at the bo- bottom it will say janet murray is the author of nice links through to my piece i approach lots of um small business like sites so the kind of sites that small business owners would would read and um i've been commissioned by a few of those to write again practical how-to things for small business owners and you know although you know, people might think, well, why are you not going, you know, you you know how to do this. Why are you not going after the big guns? Like, well, actually, I don't think they'd be interested. So I might as well concentrate on on uh, probably some of the smaller sites and and some of the places where people who could potentially buy my book will be reading and will link through hopefully and pick up a copy of my book. The other thing I did lots of is I pitched myself to loads of podcasts because, again, thinking about the kind of people you want to get in front of, I tend to work with people who, you know, coaches, consultants, uh, people who are looking to get, get media coverage for their brands. And a lot of them listen to podcasts. So I got myself on the Entrepreneur on Fire podcast. So that doesn't come out till next month, which is a really big. Well done. Really, that's really a nice one. Yeah. So that's next mm. month. Um, I, uh, I got on Michael O'Neill's Solopreneur Hour. I have been, I've just been on loads of different podcasts. I basically just, you know, made a a list of 
all the possible I, I emailed all my previous podcast guests because I've had some quite big names on my podcast and just said look I've got a book coming out is there anyone you could recommend that you think would be really good and most of them actually were really good and recommended or made introductions so I think for me probably being on podcasts is probably more powerful than than um than traditional media I'm just trying to think of some of the other things I've done because I've done, I've done lots of things. Um, I write for the Huffington Post, so I, I wrote a really practical piece for the Huffington Post about about how to get press coverage and made sure that that was out on the day that my book came out. I've also written a piece for Entrepreneur as well because I write for them as well. So, so I mean, I think I could have done a lot more, but there's only so much time in the day, and it was mm. actually ironic. I was there thinking, I think I've probably got 20, 30 pieces of coverage, but, you know, I know that I could probably do even better than that. But, you know just because my, my book came out last week and that doesn't mean the PR has to stop. In fact, I've had my initial launch push and then I'll probably then spend the next few months just to keep pushing with that on, on the PR front and probably have a little bit more time to spend on it as well. And, yeah, and of course that's that's the joy of a book like this in that the launch is just the beginning of it. It's evergreen. Yeah. You could be selling this for many, many years, selling updates, versions, changing the cover, do what you want. It becomes an asset in your business effect. Yeah, exactly. And that's why, although, you know, I would have loved to have had more time to spend on on, on the PR, that it, you know, for that launch. But, you know, to think to myself, well, actually, yeah, I can just keep going with this. And, and, and I've been PRing myself and getting press coverage for myself you know, all along every stage of my business anyway. So it's just really continuing what with, with what I've already been doing. And now, of course, I can say I'm an author. And the other thing as well, which is what I always say to, pe- to other people when I'm advising them, is that having that book means that other people recommend me. So if people are looking for somebody to, you know, give some comment on something, then they'll think of me and they will associate me much more strongly with my specialism. Now I've got a book as well. So, so it works on lots of levels. Yeah, it makes you the go-to person, effectively, in that field. Exactly, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Uh, which is really important. So anybody listening to this thinking about that expert positioning, I think becoming the go-to person, that's why you need your non-fiction book. And you mentioned this earlier about Teachable uh, and having the course to follow the book. It, it's like having the whole – it's like having the set. It's like Pokemon, isn't it, which is quite topical <laughs> at the moment. Cle- cle- collecting the set, the book, the teaching course, the – the podcast, you know, the practical courses in London, you've kind of got everything there. How important is that, do you think, to build the business? It's a pretty strong proposition for you. Yeah, I'm getting into the stage now where, as I mentioned with the book, it was like I wanted to kind of fill the gaps in in my sales funnel because what you don't want is just to have like high-end products to send to people and you haven't got anything for people who are just finding out about you. And, you know, I think quite quite reasonably people you know they might start reading my blog or listen to my podcast but maybe don't feel they know enough about me to to invest in in uh, you know a big sort of coaching type course so I think you know it's fair enough to have something you can offer where people can kind of get to know you and then and gradually you move because I find that um I mean I ran an event in London last week and I I have a, a I call it my business club which is a membership community that I run and I'd say probably about 30 40 percent of people who are at my my live event last week are also in my membership community. Um, a really good proportion of the people in my membership community have been through my coaching program. And mm. so what I'm looking to do is build things out. Now. So people, they come in, they buy my book and they get some of the resources that come with that. And then um, I'm doing some webinars this week and next week. So to, to get more people into my membership community and so once they get to know me a bit and get a bit of confidence in me then they may well move on to the membership community and then from that community which is you know that's the kind of 29 pounds a 
month type type you know then some of them may will decide they want more one-to-one help and then do coaching or or one of consultancy and do strategy sessions and things like that so it's really about having I think what we're saying at the beginning having something for everybody whatever stage they are at their business and sort of helping people to kind of grow with you and what I wanted to do with the the book I mean again I'd love to have spent more time on this but I got the idea from Pat Flynn actually when he was he was uh, launching his book uh, Will It Fly and he'd built a little course into and I'm sure his is probably much better and more sophisticated than mine because he's got a bigger team and he's been doing it for longer. Um, but I thought, well, if I just have, I've already got loads, so many resources as well, all the workshops that I teach and the coaching program. I, I actually repurposed it. There's most of the resources and things I already had, but I just rebranded them to go with my book. And um, I thought, well, if I set a little task at the end of each chapter for people to do and then have a, just a simple worksheet that somebody can go and download or in one case it's a little video that they can watch then it's not too it didn't take me very long to put that all together but it just felt that there was something extra for people but also all importantly if you're building a business it's a way of you collecting people's email addresses and, and obviously finding out who's reading your book and then building a relationship with them for your next book or for anything else that you you might want to do in the future how did the launch go for you then how do you feel happy with it was it did it work out fine yeah, I mean, I think, I, you know, I don't, in, re- in retrospect, would I have a book launch on the same day as a big event in London? <laughs> it was a big conference style <laughs> event. However, I mean, it was lovely because I had, you know, I had this event in London I was holding. We had, um, I got my designer to come, actually. She, she, we had some notebooks made to kind of match my book. So some people bought a book and a notebook. And these are the ones that I'd picked out that didn't have half the letters missing managed to get enough copies to sell so I sold all the books so I sold, I had about 25 books with me and we sold all of them and we sold some of the notebooks and some of the prints and things like that so to see people kind of coming to an event and it didn't make loads of money from it at all in fact probably just covered my cost but to see people leaving my event having had a great day and having a copy of my book under their arm then that I guess that's probably worth more than than me maybe getting to do as much you know more bit, bit more PR or whatever and and I find that, you know, with every aspect of my business, I think it's true of books, isn't it? People become almost like your brand evangelist, don't they? And, and if, mm. you know, so people have been tweeting and Facebooking to say, oh, oh, my book's arrived. And, you know, unfortunately, a few of them saying, and uh, the letters, some letters are missing. But, um, but, you I know. feel so sorry for you with that. That's a terrible thing to happen. Uh, but, you know, it's just one of those things you just have to, you have to get on with it, don't you? And uh, also, it's, it's also helped me. So the people it's happened to, I've personally messaged them and said, I'm really sorry about that. If you can bear to order one through my web website i will send you something else as well personally to, to make up for it and i guess it's helped me to build a bit more of a relationship so i always try and see the positives in these things um, well i gotta tell you janet one of the things i teach about email marketing i, I built a list a couple of years ago five thousand people and sent I, I was experimenting with split testing and messed it up and sent four different emails to everybody on the list of five thousand people and um, I use this as an example when I'm talking about email marketing because I thought, oh, it's, it's over. It's a disaster. It was a big launch that I was doing and I messed it up. And I sent an apology email out. And actually, it was one of the most successful email campaigns I ever did because people said, oh, there's a, there's a real person behind the campaign. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, uh, it just yeah. built the brand even better. So you, I think you're having a similar, similar experience, yeah. actually. <laughs> well, that's happened to me, actually. I had, a, I had a, an email disaster type thing like that a little while ago and I remember one lady emailed me and said your business will fail if this is your idea and you know she said something really horrible and I emailed 
her back and said, oh, come on, I think that's a little bit unfair. We all make mistakes. And, and you know, this is the first time I was using Infusionsoft email so- software. You know, come on, everyone makes mistakes. But for that one comment from that really nasty lady saying, saying your business will fail. I mean, who would do that kind of thing anyway? I don't want that kind of person yeah. on my list anyway, somebody who's that mean that they would send an email well, like right. that. Yeah, she, well, she self-selected, didn't she? She yeah, remove yeah. herself from the list. Yeah, yeah. she was off. But anyway, the others, um, you know, I got so many nice emails from people saying, oh, um, oh, that happened to us when we changed over and don't worry about it, whatever. And actually, I've got a, a really good example of this recently. So... Um, it's really hard actually when you're email marketing because I create so much free content. I mean, you may well have seen this email because I think you're on my list, but I create so much free free content through my podcast, through my blog, through I do you know some free events and I do events in London where you can get to meet journalists and they've only been like ten fifteen pounds a ticket. I literally just cover my cost, so I offer so much for free. But you know, I have to make a living and I have to charge some people, you know. And um, so I I sent. I've obviously had a busy time. I've been doing a live event and various things. And we do try and segment people. But sometimes, you know, you look and you think, oh, you know, that I could, probably could have done that better. But I got an email from this lady, very sour email saying, um, and this is what people always say, is that I'm very close to unsubscribing from your list. I'm like, well, why don't you unsubscribe? If it's not for you, just unsubscribe. Why are you emailing me to tell me that that, that you might, you know? what? So so I, I usually say to people, look, so, so I went back to her I said, look, you know, it's really tough to do this because we try and segment. But essentially, I basically said to her, if she, she basically said, I love your webinars. I love all your free content, but I don't want you to sell to me, is what she said. And I just basically said, look, I don't care if you never buy anything from me ever, but I have to sell to other people. Otherwise, I can't create this content. And, and you know, essentially, these people subsidize the free content that I give to you. So and, and if I can't sell my stuff, then I can't let you have access to some of this free you know i can't make this free content anyway so she 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 sent me a, i think another sour email back and uh the email marketing me thought this is a good opportunity actually so <laughs> I, I wrote an email where i said you might want to un- unsubscribe from this list and um that was my my headline and um i've got about six thousand seven thousand i think people on my list now and i said um i basically just, just said exactly that said i've had a, an email from somebody which wasn't very pleasant and basically i've got a live event coming up i've got a book launch coming up i've got my next phase of my membership program i'm going to be sending a few more emails <laughs> and you know if you if you're finding it too much then you might want to opt out and look i'm completely happy to have you back anytime you can find all my free content on my blog and i and said all places but you know but if, if you're finding it too much you might just want to leave and you're welcome back anytime. I got about 100 unsubscribes, but I got oh about 50 emails from people saying we love your content. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, please don't stop sending it. And um, and you know, I don't mind. And I, I totally understand that you're running a business. And I think it's about seeing the positive sometimes in this. And and um, you know, I, I, it's, it is difficult because you don't want to bombard people. But the people that I really like and I like their stuff, I, I have no problem with them emailing me because i like their stuff and and so if somebody's emailing you just to say that kind of thing they probably you probably don't need them on your list yeah i totally agree with you i mean one of the things i learned early on somebody i was in a mastermind and they said you know do do you work for free i i don't work for free would you work for free you know we all have to earn a living from it number one so it's perfectly reasonable that you sell but the other thing is is i i think it's writer's digest i get emails from i think they send me sometimes five or six emails a day Mm many of which are sales related, but because I get immense value from 
enough emails i don't care i just delete them i don't want to buy that i don't want to buy that but the ones that i do get that are valuable to me are like gold dust to me and it's worth staying subscribed just for that so i think there is an element of self-selection here you know if people do moan about that they're probably not your customer no no, exactly and i'm really happy to let people go those hundred people that i let go well that's great because hopefully they're going to go i mean i like to think that they go with a better impression of me because I was just like mm. look you know you can still have all my you can still read my blog if you look you can look out of my webinars and you can you can opt back in for a webinar and then you can opt back out again if you want to <laughs> totally up to you but I have to be able to you know I have to be able to sell um and um and I think I think people understand that I mean I certainly do I've got people I've got folders in my inbox where I just you know there, there might be people that I follow like Amy Porterfield or something that who, who's a social media strategist and you know, I might not get to read them for ages, but then I might go and have a little bit of a purge because I like her content and I might go and have a, a splurge is what I meant to say. So, you know, I, you know, I might go and have a kind of Amy Porterfield and read loads of her emails in one go. But I really like her stuff and I understand she's got to make a living. And so I, and I know I'm going to get value from it, even if I can't look at it there and then. And why can't people just delete things if they if it's not for them? Or unsubscribe. Yeah, it's just one click unsubscribe. of a button. One click of a button. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, if you could give new authors listening to this podcast some PR pointers, you know, I, I know as a journalist that most of the press releases I got just used to go straight in the bin. They were useless and, yeah. and of no interest whatsoever. So how do we keep out the bin? It, it, just one or two pointers. OK, a couple of pointers. So first thing, I wouldn't bother too much with press releases unless you've written the next Fifty Shades of Grey, you know, and I think you have to be honest with yourself. And most of us probably haven't. <laughs> and uh, mm. if you have, you probably know about it. So I think tailored email pitches. So it's really working out what I was talking about, what I did is that who do you want to get in front of? So if you've written a romantic novel or if you've written horror or whatever, it's thinking about who are your readers or who are your prospective readers? What do they read, watch and listen to? And then being really selective about the publications or the programs that you target get sending specific email pitches because every publication every program is different so they're going to want something slightly different so if you send a generic press release they kind of think well that's kind of not for me and you know you you might get the odd person pick it up you 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 know you might be lucky but do you really want to leave it to chance so tailored email pitches and the little tips that i give people for having standout um pitches is labeling up your subject header so i tell people to write story idea or something like that and not using puns as writers we might want to be clever so an example i often give is people you know i don't know if their books about surfing <laughs> i don't know like it's set mm. in a surf surf town or something surfing town they might want to put you know um local novelist say it surfs the wave of fiction or something and they might think they've been really clever i mean that's really rubbish but you know they come up with a good one but actually a busy journalist has got no idea what you're going on about so you know if your book is about murder in a sleepy colorado town or whatever you know that's kind of what you need to kind of have in your subject header and get your top line in the first uh, first line of your pitch the other thing advice i give people a lot is to look around the edges of your business. That's where the stories normally are for authors. And I think journalists are often much more interested in the story behind your writing rather than your book itself, which sounds awful. But one example I often use is the chick lit author Adele Park. I've been reading her books for years and every time she has a new book out I notice on the Daily Mail that she has some kind of personal story which is about something that's happened to her which relates to the book so I remember seeing one time it was a story about how her her best friend divorced her and sent her this like really mean letter saying she didn't want to be friends with her anymore and that, that had some kind of link to the theme of her book 
another piece I saw that she'd written was about um, what was it about being proposed to eight times and again that kind of linked to the theme of her book and so often it's about finding the stories in your life or around the edges of your business or book or whatever that give you an opportunity to kind of plug your book but actually are just interesting uh, uh, as a story in themselves I was working with somebody yesterday who it wasn't an author actually but she was a she had these beauty products and you know in, in itself I didn't think she was probably having much luck getting getting press coverage for her products but she had this kind of amazing story about why she did what she did she'd been knocked down by a car she hadn't been able to do the work that she'd done before as an accountant so she'd trained in aromatherapy and, and basically she you know this being knocked down by a car had like changed her life and and sent her in this completely new direction and I think often authors have those stories as well I'm thinking about um oh Joanna Penn you know I listened to her podcast and she was a guest on on mine and she's got some interesting stories about you know about giving you know selling her house in London and downsizing to a really small place um so that she could write full time and I think it's just thinking about the stories the things that you talk to people all the time they're interested in so for example you said to me are you in your shed today when we started talking (laughs) um and uh, actually when I podcast I tend to do it for my little office indoors but I work in this like fancy she shed at the end of my garden I've had lots of press coverage for that because people are just and really interested in it they want to know you know they like the idea of working in a shed at the end of their garden and and um they want to know you know where i got it from and how much it costs and all that kind of stuff so it's thinking about the, the phrase that i used before actually which is one of my phrases that's in my book is you know, tell the stories people want to hear not the ones that you want to tell so you probably want to tell the story about how fantastic your book is and how what amazing writer you are but actually what people probably will be more interested in is it sounds awful but you know the fact that losing your father at the age of eight you know sparked you to uh to develop this daily writing habit to to uh to, to get over it and and then you started writing novels or whatever it might be so often the, the gold really is in those kind of personal stories of things that happened to you there's loads of other stuff as well but that's just a few little tips no, I totally agree with you. It's instant death in a newsroom with, for a press release or a news story. I, I don't know about you, but as a journalist for 20 years, I could see a story I mean, very, very quickly. It's the same with podcast guests, actually. Yeah. I can tell very quickly whether this is going to make me an interview or not, Yeah. Uh, whether, whether it's got legs, basically. And it's instant death. Um, you know, if it, if it doesn't catch me, it's out and in the bin. Yeah, you, yeah. you must you must have that too yeah i call them heart sink stories <laughs> you know, <it's> just, <laughs> it sounds so ruthless doesn't yeah, it yeah yeah but you know that's why my book's called your press release is breaking my heart because it literally is like your stomach would go oh god who would who would be interested in that but when you'll know this is that feeling when you get a story in your inbox and you're like oh my god like and i still feel it now i literally want to pick up the phone and talk to that person and you want to hear their story you want other people to hear their story and I think that's what you need to try and develop and people often worry because they think well how's that going to help me to get coverage for my book I mean one of the most one of the stories that I've written which has had the biggest impact on my business is I wrote a story about miscarriage and how we need to talk more about miscarriage at work which has nothing to do with my business whatsoever in fact I hardly I did sort of briefly mention my business but I had so many hits on my website so many comments so many shares I've got new clients from it and it's because people kind of identified with my story and my you know the experiences that I'd had and they were like oh yeah that happened to me or that happened to my sister or whatever and I think that's where I think a lot of um, authors go wrong because they're storytellers they know what makes a great story they know what people are interested in but when they try to tell their story in the media suddenly they start to try and tell the equivalent of like oh i did the washing today or i just cleaned the loo 
What are your writing aspirations now? You're just pleased you've got it out there and you just want to get the letters on the cover or are you, have you got other plans now to do something? I'd quite like to write a book about, um, I mean, the sort of working title in my head is Soulful Writing. So I help increasingly when you, when you get a yes from a journalist just because of the fact that they want people to do stuff for free, they want free content because they're so stretched for money. Increasingly, you're asked to write this stuff yourself and even somebody who's a you know a, an experienced novelist isn't always great at writing for the media because it's a different kind of discipline so I'll get some of my clients some of them are writers and they'll get a yes from like the Daily Mail or the Express or something to write something and they'll be like oh my god I don't know how to write it and then mm. I'll be behind the scenes helping them edit it and knocking it into shape in a way that works for the media and for that particular title and so it's occurred to me that there's probably there's probably like a follow-up book to be done I've got a chat in the book which is called soulful writing but there's probably a, a a whole book in how to write different types of content for the media so how to write a really good opinion piece how to write a really good first person narrative how to write a really great how-to piece and I, I think often my clients they get they get really excited because they get a yes and they're like oh my god I've got to write it and then I see the gaps in their skills and knowledge because they find it quite hard because obviously I've been doing it for years and I find it really easy to, to write in these kind of styles. But obviously, so I think I think there's probably a there's probably a book and maybe a course even in the soulful writing thing. And also it's given me an appetite. You know, when I first went off to be a journalist, I was a teacher before and I, I retrained in journalism after a few years. And I, I I wanted to be a novelist. So I have an unfinished manuscript like most journalists sitting in my bottom drawer. And it has, oh, yes. it ha- yeah, sort of like a... Um, I guess a thriller type thing. I think that's probably my genre. And I've always found the writing side of it quite easy, but I find the plotting side of it hard. And so I, it has given me an appetite for thinking, well, maybe I could pick this up again now. And now I know about the self-publishing process. <laughs> uh, hopefully, mm-hmm. you know, one with the letters filled out, but it's made me think that maybe I'd like to, to try that again. How inter- I've just written my first thriller. Uh, uh, very interesting. So very, very interested that you're going in for thrillers. That's uh, that's great. Well, good luck with that. Get, oh, get, get it out the drawer and write it. Get, yes. it, get it out there. Yes. <laughs> I will do. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's possible now. You're, you're all over the place online. Where, where are the best places for people to engage with you first time, other than the book, of course? Uh, so my website is janetmurray.co.uk, so you can find me there. And also I'm on Twitter. That's probably the, the main social media place i hang out which is at jan underscore murray and i've got this this great facebook group called the soulful pr facebook community i'm in there every day talking to people who are looking to promote their businesses but also you know quite a few authors in there as well and it's a great place to get advice and to ask me questions so i'd I'd love to to see your listeners there well congratulations on publishing the book and getting it out there and thank you very much for all the other great content i'm a big fan of the podcast I consume the, the blog posts and the emails as well. I haven't unsubscribed and I haven't known <laughs> you about them. Uh, I think you provide a, you know, a, a lot of great value. So thank you very much for doing that. It's appreciated. Oh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this week's self-publishing journeys. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your indie author friends. Or you can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever podcast directory you use. In the meantime, you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week.